joining us today on the Anthony Bradley Show is John Eldridge, the author of Fathered by God, who will have a conversation with us about the transitions in a boy's life as he becomes a man and the ways that fathers and leaders and teachers can help boys become the men that God would have them to be. This is the Anthony Bradley podcast. I'm joined today by uh, one of my heroes, John Eldridge, and I am so looking forward to having this conversation this afternoon. John Eldridge is an author, counselor, and teacher. He's also president of Wild at Heart, a ministry devoted to helping people discover the heart of God, recover their own hearts in God's love, and learn to live in God's kingdom. Uh, John grew up in the suburbs of Los Angeles, spent his boyhood summers on his grandfather's cattle ranch in eastern Oregon. He met his wife Stacy in a high school drama class, but their romance did not begin until they each came to faith in Christ after high school. Uh, John earned his undergraduate degree in theater at Cal Poly and directed a theater company in Los Angeles for several years before moving to Colorado with Focus on the Family, where he taught at the Focus on the Family Institute. John earned his master's degree in counseling from Colorado Christian University under the direction of Larry Crabb and Dan Allender. He worked as a counselor in private practice before launching Wild at Heart in 2000. John and Stacy live in Colorado Springs. They have three sons, Samuel, Blaine, and Luke, two golden retrievers, and two horses. John loves the outdoors passionately and all beauty, Shakespeare, bow hunting, good cigar, among it, <clears throat> anything having to do with adventure, and poetry, March Madness, working in the shop, fly fishing, classic rock, the Tetons, fish tacos, George McDonald, green tea, buffalo steaks, dark chocolate, wild and open spaces, horse running, and too much more to name today. He's also known for using the expression far out a little bit too much. Maybe we'll hear that from him today, hopefully. John Eldridge, thank you for joining us today. Anthony, this is a delight, and you are a delight, and I am looking forward to this. Excellent, excellent. So for many of my listeners, the first book they read of yours was Wild at Heart. That was 20 years ago. Can you believe that? 20 years ago. And many of them, for reasons that are a mystery to me, because I'm, I'm a bit of, of an Eldridge fan, they have had no idea what you've been up to since then. You've recently rebranded the organization. I believe it was Ransom Heart, and now it's, it's, it's Wild at Heart. Can you give us a bit of an update on where you've taken this ministry since you've launched Wallet at Heart. Sure. I began all this as a therapist, private practice, and a lot of work with men, mostly men. And then Wild at Heart, uh, the book, kind of grew out of that experience of something felt very universal to the heartache and the struggles and the desires and the longings that guys all share together. And... Never expected any of this to happen. This thing just took off. And while that heart is all over the world and our other works are written, you know, 15 books since then. And what we primarily do, we kind of went from the counseling practice with one-on-one into a live conference setting with about 400 at a time. But it's the same work. It's, uh, we help people recover their hearts. We help them sort out things in their story that continue to hold them back. We, our main goal, as is yours, is to just bring people into intimacy with God. And, and all that happens because of that, the healing of their humanity, the recovery of their life, the, you know, getting connected into their purpose. So that's what we do. We, and this thing continues to grow. It's nuts. It's, we're all over the world. And, you know, we're doing conferences internationally as soon as, the, as soon as the pandemic lets us get back at that work. What a wonderful, happy accident. Unfortunately, because of the work of the enemy and the presence and the, and the fact of a fall, this material never dates. It's really, really extraordinary how the woundedness continues to cycle through. 
there are lots of scholars right now who are talking about the boy crisis. And, and I, I believe, and I've, I've done this in my own work, there's a correlation between this boy crisis and a crisis of men not getting their hearts back, not knowing their father by God. And so you have sort of unfinished, uninitiated fathers who are stumbling with their sons, and it sort of creates this sort of cycle of dad deprivation. I want to read to you just some statistics, and I want to get your response to this. Several people, there's a book called The Boy Crisis that's out right now that describes this. Michael Gurion has written a lot on this topic as, as well. This is just simply the state of boys. And I just want to get your reaction to this data and what it brings to mind about the importance of fathers. Listen, listen to this. Males are diagnosed with learning disabilities at triple the rate of girls. For emotional disturbances, that rate increases to more than triple. One and a half times as many preschool boys as girls are identified as developmentally delayed. Almost twice as many boys and girls struggle with completing regular schoolwork and behaving in the way school systems want them to behave. Boys make up 80 to 90% of discipline referrals to the principal. Uh, Twice as many boys have speech difficulties, and three times as many boys are considered mentally disabled. Boys are twice as likely to repeat kindergarten as girls, more than twice as likely to be suspended. Boys are expelled from public school at almost three times the rate of girls. For every girl who kills herself, four or more boys kill themselves. For every girl in a correctional facility, more than eight boys are incarcerated. For every 100 women that enter college, 78 men do. For every 100 men who earn a bachelor's degree, 75 men do. Boys get two-thirds of D's and F's in our schools, but are less than half of all of the A's. The majority of school dropouts are boys. What What does that stir in you when you hear those numbers and sort of think about the role of fathers in that in that context. Well, obviously, heartache um, for the boys, heartache for their families, heartache for the women that they're going to eventually marry, um, heartache for the kids that they're going to find themselves as fathers. But Anthony, my reaction is also going to surprise people. I love boys. I love the way they're wired. Like, of course they're discipline problems. Of course that you shouldn't start them in school too early. Of course they're getting into, into trouble. I love that about boys. They, boys are wired so differently than girls. And, you know, the large muscle movements and the later learning and all. I mean, come on. Part of what we're describing is a crisis. Part of what we're describing is just boyhood. And boyhood put into a a way overtaxed public education system. So no criticism on the teachers. You know, they're trying to wrangle, you know, a large group of students into a learning experience. But boys just aren't wired like that. Um, I think, you know, you and I have exchanged some thoughts about this, but this goes way back. <clears throat> I, I think this goes back to the Industrial Revolution. That, that began the separation of father and son in a workspace, in a life space that, that would shape the boy into a kind of person who would be able to learn, who would be able to stay focused. To, you know, because boys learn by doing they learn by doing, by action and engagement, and a lot of that outdoors, by the way. So, you know, we've got the Industrial Revolution that kicked in the father absence. You know, dad was gone 8, 10, 12, 14 hours a day. And then you've got the World War I, World War II generations, massive devastation. My dad was in the World War II generation, and like many, many men of that generation, became silent, became an alcoholic. And so I grew up in an alcoholic home with a silent dad. He was gone. And that started this cycle that now we're calling the boy crisis. And we'll get into this, I'm sure, in our conversation. But boys 
become men only with the help of men. Right. And if men are struggling and limping and unfinished and themselves uncertain about who they are, it's difficult for them to know how to be that guide that boys need in this transition and journey of becoming a man, right? Yeah. You said this before that everybody needs a guide. All boys need guides, right? We're not in this alone. And the extension which men, I think, are limping around really undermines their, their ability to properly, in a community of men, lead, guide, instruct, train, equip boys in this transition into becoming a God-made man. I've been really fascinated when I taught my class when you introduce this idea that sort of God is their father, right? I I teach a class on uh, masculinity. I've done it in in a couple of different schools. And what's interesting for so many of them is that it's almost a new concept. In so many of the evangelical churches, there just is not an emphasis on God's fatherliness, and their story being understood in terms of God, God fathering them. I'm curious to know, one, why do you think we don't talk much about God's fathering us? And then secondly, why do you think it's important to think about God's active fathering in our own lives? Well, I'm going to say this very gently. The men with the microphones have not been initiated themselves. And so they have not experienced intimacy with God as father. It's only because I counsel these guys. You know, it's like they wind up in my office, okay? You know, leaders and military leaders, uh, men in government, like all across the sector, particularly in the business sector, they have unaddressed wounds. And they themselves, though they love God, though they revere God, though they desperately want to serve him, they have unaddressed father issues themselves. And so it doesn't allow them, you know, why did we lose God as father? Well, because we have unfathered men fathering the church. And so not blaming, I'm just describing a reality that we're all struggling with. And you really can't pass on something that you haven't richly experienced yourself. And The number of men, for example, that I've counseled over the years that have never heard God speak to them. And you go, like, that's pretty basic to intimacy. Like that, that, you know, if you're not talking to God and he's not talking to you, you're going to have a hard time describing the riches of what Jesus knew in his relationship with his dad. So that's part of it. And then part of it is the evangelical tradition to focus on Jesus. Now, I love Jesus. Like, I think he is phenomenal. Like, I, Jesus and I are very, very, very good friends. So I got nothing to say but positive things about Jesus. But Jesus himself, you know, continues to, you know, as we come into a life in Christ and all that he makes available to us, he keeps trying to turn us to the Father. <laughs> he keeps trying to direct our attention, but it seems that evangelicals kind of get stuck there and they're not able to take the handoff. He's not abandoning us, but he is trying to kind of hand the relationship up you know, to the Father so that we can experience the, as men and women, the fathering that we need. It's really fascinating that you mentioned that. So much of this also goes back to the turn of the century during the social gospel movement, which actually on purpose de-emphasize God's fatherhood and overly emphasize Jesus because they were trying to get men who by 1900 had already walked, were already walking from the church to come back to do stuff, right? Serve the poor, get involved in justice issues. And it was a way to, to sort of try to get men back and if you emphasize God's fatherhood too much, you would actually have to change your life. And so to take some of the pressure off on sort of morally directing people, a lot of the emphasis went that way. And 
You often describe in so many of your writings that this relationship with Jesus as we come to the Father is a process. You describe it as a journey. Why is it important that people understand it that way? Why, why do you use the words process and journey? Why doesn't it just happen the day I commit my life to Jesus Christ? It just doesn't snap. Why process? Why, why journey? Let's just all admit that God is exasperating. Can we do? He is so committed to the long-term view of things that in a culture like ours, are you kidding me? Like you can buy a house with your phone. It's unbelievable. You can do all your banking. You can do your grocery shopping. It click, 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 click. Honestly, folks, I don't think we've realized how much this has shaped us. We live in a moment of time. Now, obviously, you know, pandemic, tensions, the November elections, Gadzooks, you know, that aside, we have created the highest level of comfort as a culture that any society has ever known in the history of the world. I mean, I had to buy a new truck because I drove my other one into the ground for 20 years. You can't buy, it's got all this technology in it. It's got GPS and all that kind of thing. It's like, literally, men don't even know how to use maps anymore. Really basic stuff. My seat in my truck has air conditioning to cool my butt as I drive around. It's unbelievable. So when you have a culture that can sustain gourmet cupcake stores as independent franchises, you've reached a, you know, you've reached a level of convenience and ease and comfort. And the human soul, male and female, the human soul is not shaped by comfort and ease. It's just not. It's restored by comfort, but it is not shaped by it. Okay. So there is a process. Masculinity is something that takes place over time. That The boy is not instantly a man, you know? I mean, you just look at, my goodness, God brings into the world infants that are so utterly dependent. You need everything done for you. Okay. But over time, you learn to tie your own shoes. And over time, you learn to ride a bike. And over time, you learn to read. And you know, Okay. So process is intrinsic to the human experience particularly the formation of masculinity. People are not naturally sacrificial. People are not naturally courageous. People are not naturally kind. These things need to be formed in individuals over time. And, and if you, you, you know, obviously, Father, by God's been something that you've used quite a bit. But if you look at cultures down through the ages, including the the Jewish culture in the Old Testament, you see a process of boy to man that's shepherded in a community of men. We all want the fruit. Nobody is arguing about the fruit of it. We want men who are kind. We want men who are strong. We want men who are true, men who are brave. Whatever the quality was in the firefighters that ran up the stairs you know, in the World Trade Center when everybody else is running down, everybody recognizes that's a good thing. We no longer know how to produce it. And because of that, so many students that I I encounter are lost. They're directionless. What do you want to major in? I don't know. What do you want to do with your life? I don't know. They don't have an imagination because they were never actually included and initiated into that process. And one of my goals in life is to resurrect fathers to actually engage the process in their communities with their own sons and to have their fathers, groups of fathers, sort of walk their sons through, you know, these sort of preteen and teen years and deposit them into the, into the culture, initiated, restored, and healed I'd like to, to do now is actually talk about that process. You lay out some stages, in, and what I'd like to do is sort of to kind of, just kind of briefly describe the stage. I'll name the stage. You briefly just, uh, describe the stage, and then tell us how it goes wrong. Talk about this, this woundedness and what that does. Now, you mentioned it in Wild at Heart, and maybe you can explain this first, and then I'll get to the stages. What is a wound? 
and how does it affect a man's story? Can you just start with that and then we'll get to the sages? Yeah, you bet. Everybody takes wounds in this life and it can be major in terms of a betrayal or a violation, a trespass of your body, trespass of your soul, abuse, violence, shame, abandonment, neglect. Those are the obvious ones. The less obvious wounds are just as wounding, silence, the lack of fathering and engagement. How many guys have we heard the story of, you know, my dad was a good guy. He really provided for us, but I never saw him. Okay, so that's actually quite devastating for a boy when you understand what he needs from his father. I had a friend whose dad was a very, very successful attorney, worked all day, come home, dinner, straight into his office, work all evening. And my friend would sit outside his door and push notes under the door of his dad's home office, just hoping that one day a note would come back underneath. Now, when he told me that story, I wept. He couldn't understand why. My friend didn't understand the devastating nature to a boy's development that that kind of just silence is. So human beings have needs, and the fundamental needs of a boy are for love and validation. Love and validation. He needs to know his dad adores him, and he needs to know that he has what it takes. And when that is either denied, you simply don't receive love or validation, you are wounded, or when that is violated, you are wounded as well. So there was quote unquote love, but it was manipulative or it was a it was abusive, you know, there was validation, but it was only with grades or it was only, you know, doing what dad loved to do. That's wounded. And uh, the wounds shape us, you know, Psalm 109. The Psalms are a fascinating thing, by the way, because David's external story is pretty impressive. I mean, apart from the obvious, his story is very impressive. He's, he is a leader of men. But you read the Psalms and it's like reading his journals and he, he says, have mercy on me, God, for my heart is wounded within me. And that is a universal human experience, but we'll unpack what that means, particularly for men here today. And what I found interesting when you talk about wounds is that we receive these wounds. And by the way, this is only admitting that dads are imperfect. I think sometimes men feel guilty that I'm slagging off my dad. It's just, just acknowledging that your dad wasn't perfect, and as a father, you won't be perfect either. Imperfection's normal in the human condition. And so we receive these wounds, and, we make a, and often we make a silent vow about these things, right? If your dad doesn't think you're good enough, you're like, well, then I'm going to prove to the world that I'm good enough. And that vow can lead you to become the CEO of a company, right? But it's all driven by woundedness, and our culture, unfortunately, is set up to affirm that level of brokenness. So a lot of guys are high achievers because they're trying to silence the message that was given by their, by their wounds. And freedom comes, I think, through the process that you laid out and followed by God. So let's walk through the stages. Just tell us really briefly what the stage is and then, and then something about the ways in which those are, are wounded and a boy's life. So that first stage is boyhood. What is that? Yeah, the primary need of the boy is to know he's the beloved son. And it, to know that your dad adores you. Not just that he approves of you. It is the message over and over of, I really enjoy being with you. I love hanging out. Let's wrestle. Let's read. Let's ride bikes. Let's go to the park. Let's go to the movies. Let's play video games. Like, you know, the dad loves who you are. There is a deep level of intimate emotional connection with your dad. And you just know he thinks you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Like you have your father's delight, right? David says, keep me as the apple of your eye. I want to know that I'm your favorite. I'm your favorite. And so boyhood is a time of exploration. It's so this goes back to the data thing we were talking about earlier about school and education. Like, Boys need to explore, they need, they need to do stuff, they need to have the freedom 
to do stuff and not be confined to the, uh, sad, the sad situation that most schools need to confine them to, which is a desk and an eight-hour system and that sort of thing. Boyhood is um, wonder. Boyhood is wonder. And in the covering of the strength of a protective father, it gets wounded when you don't get that stuff. And what we have, by the way, you know, with some very glaring public figures that are going to come to everyone's mind, what we have are boys walking around in men's bodies because they were never the beloved son. And they're seeking belovedness in public adoration or they're seeking belovedness in, you know, serial relationships. They're seeking belovedness in success, right? Because they're trying to fill that void that they didn't get just in, just in being delighted in. Yeah, and for so many of them, they're trying to manufacture it, right? They so long for it, and as they should, because all boys need that, they're going to take it, right? They're going to make it. They're going to make that validation come. And often the process of doing that is very wounding to other people. And so there's so much. The advantages of fathers properly telling their sons that they love them, that their son's experience, they're fully adored, actually helps the world. I mean, you're doing the world a favor, fathers, when, when your sons know that they adore you, thank you from the world. Yep, big time. And thank you from a lot of women. Yeah. Absolutely. The next stage is the cowboy stage. Are you saying that everybody needs to, be a, needs to move out to Colorado and get on a ranch? Is that what cowboy means? Well, it probably wouldn't hurt him. But no, it's not about motor oil and, and lumberjacks. And I wanted to call it the shepherd stage because much of this is built on David's life. But we have so um, caricatured shepherd. You know, most people have no idea what the shepherd life was like, how rugged it was. Patrick of Ireland, his life as a shepherd was unbelievably difficult, but it was huge to his formation. So, you know, when David goes to fight Goliath, for example, they're like, hey, don't do this. Like, we appreciate your enthusiasm and, and all that, but he's going to kill you. And David says, oh, no, this is nothing. I, I've killed bears. I've killed lions. I, I can handle this. They're like, what? Well, that was his shepherd years, that somewhere in the teenage years. And you will notice this happen in the boy. Having laid the foundation of belovedness and, and safety and exploration and wonder and joy and make-believe and all of that, you would use the word imagination. They, Boyhood is the era of imagination and it's storytelling and it's story making up. Having laid that foundation, something shifts in adolescence. Somewhere right around 12, 13, 13 almost universally, the boy's question, the second main need of the boy, really begins to present itself. Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? And he needs to be taken into a stage of life now of initiation where there's a lot of experiences of challenging him so that he can discover for himself he has what it takes. It's very, very critical to hear his dad, to hear his uncle, to hear his coach, hear his teacher, hear his mom say, you have what it takes. That's very important. But he also has to discover it for himself. And so, yeah, for David, he's out in the field and it's Nights under the stars, and it's uh, facing fears, and it's hard, it's hard work. I would put the cowboy stage as adventure and hard work. Because adventure, boys love adventure. Like, you want it, it's really simple. Get them into adventure, they're going to be happy. Take away adventure, they're going to start destroying things. So, you know, you, adventure can be all kinds of things, by the way. It doesn't necessarily have to be ranching. You know, it's learning to ride a motorcycle. It's, right, it's going on international travel. That's huge adventure. Learning how to handle another culture, navigating, you know, passports and all that. That's adventure. So you got to get adventure into his life and let him be tested by it. But you all, this is also the era of hard work. And in a comfort culture, this was a pretty big miss for us. You know, we really wanted our kids to have everything and we gave them too much and there wasn't enough just hard labor. And it's, it's amazing that we're having this conversation because I was recalling this memory this morning, totally unrelated to this podcast. 
so as you said in my bio, I grew up in the suburbs. I grew up in malls. You know, it was suffocating, it was killing in an alcoholic home. And my mom was gone because she was working. My dad was gone because he was drinking. And I was a latchkey kid, all that stuff. But my rescue was getting shipped off to my grandfather's ranch. And it wasn't, it wasn't an act of kindness on their part. They just needed to get rid of me. And so, but it was a rescue. It was God's redemption. And my grandfather was a beautiful man. And he was kind. And he was a cowboy. And so we just go fix stuff. And when he would let me fix stuff, like that was huge for me. And I'm remembering a time where he had gone into the, into the ranch house to take a nap, but there was this feed trough, this water trough that needed fixing. And I fixed it while he was sleeping. When he came out, just his delight in me that I could do that, he was happier that I did it by myself than that I did it with him because it was this it was the stage of initiation. And he would do crazy stuff. He'd put me on a tractor and have me just go out and plow the field. And I'd never done it before. And he knew what he was doing. Like, he knew it. And so, again, it doesn't have to take place on the ranch, but it's a stage of hard work and learning that life doesn't come to you on a silver platter. And, you know, in the cowboy stage, if that gets denied, what you see in a man's life is this longing for the ski vacations and it's the longing for that he's traveling way too much and you know or he gets lost in video games and it's because he's trying to feed that where was adventure in my life how come i didn't how come i didn't get to do that and there are things in me that don't feel shaped because of that so that's beloved son cowboy yeah and unfortunately in a culture right now where parents are obsessed with safety yes right? It's neurotic. So much so that boys are bubble wrapped and they're not given permission to go adventure and be tested and get stitches, break an arm, right? There's psychological research on this, that the boy, if the boy doesn't get to fall on his bike, he will actually fear it more than the boy who falls and discovers it's not that big of a deal. You scrape your knee, you get a Band-Aid, you get back, you know. Yes, it's this overprotective culture. It's absolutely insane. And can we add that that culture has certainly shaped our policy towards things like pandemics? But we won't go there right then. That's a different podcast, but absolutely. And that stage is so critical. I remember the day, and this is sort of a suburban narrative. I remember the day when I was given the reins of a lawnmower, right? Yep. And I had a machine in my hand, my two hands, and my dad just stood there and it was up to me and he walked away and I was given this domain yep. of this yard. And, and I, I remember very good memories of kids on bikes. We would just be gone for hours, Yep. right? Just making up stuff to do creating all sorts of opportunities to get in some good trouble. And so many kids today don't have those opportunities. And I, I think we're going to pay for it later. This next stage is the warrior stage and the, the warrior and the, and the lover stage uh, sort of overlap. We'll talk about uh, both of those in, in just a moment, but just kind of introduce us into this warrior stage. This is really critical because this is the one that we fear most as a culture right now. But it get you see it in the little guy, you know, in the Spider-Man pajamas, and, and he wants to be a Jedi Knight. He jumps off the couch because he thinks he really is able to fly. And so you see the warrior very young in the boy. And then you'll see it in the, in the cowboy stages of risk-taking and courage. But, but the warrior stage really kicks in late in the teen years, into the young 20s. And the young man needs a mission. He needs a mission, and he needs to be called out and called up. That song in Les Mis, you know, do you hear the people sing, singing the songs of angry men? You know, well, those are young men, right? In the French Revolution and the university students and all that. The young man discovers injustice. The young man discovers a cause that he wants to fight for. And the warrior is so crucial that this is shaped in men. If it is not, he winds up in jail. If it's not that, you know, we got to keep weapons and all that away from little boys, they're going to they're gonna wind up in jail. It's just the opposite, right? If he does not have a place to fight 
for something he believes in. He could go fight illiteracy. He could go fight for clean water. He, there's a lot of things. He doesn't need to actually join the military service, though that is a place that this is shaped. There are a lot of things that this warrior in him needs to be called out in. And it's a time of courage and self-sacrifice. And if we would kind of say that the first 18 years, he's learning that he has a strength. Now he begins to really lay it down on behalf of others. He begins to learn that you have been given this strength, this courage, this tenacity on behalf of others. The warrior is going to help him so much in the rest of his life. It takes a lot of warrior to sustain planning a church. It takes a lot of warrior to finish grad school. It takes a lot of warrior to leave your current job and go do the thing you want to do. You know, that courage, that risk taking and being willing to fight the battles that are in front of you. Such a crucial stage. And the lover stage sort of overlapped with this one in some ways. Describe for us how the heart sort of awakens and and how that works with the warrior stage. Yeah, this is really crucial too. That When we talk about the lover stage, I'm not talking only about falling in love only about romance. Like, you know, you find the girl. It's the awakening of the heart to the beauty of the world. And then, again, this is David, right? Like he's writing poetry and he's singing songs and he's playing music. There comes a time in the young man's formation where he discovers beauty. And it is the awake, and I mean the beauty of the world, the beauty of literature, the beauty of music, the beauty of human faces, the he discovers the beauty of the world and and it is a wonderful balance to the warrior because we don't want him to be all warrior. You want him to be lover too. You, you want him to, you know, they're warrior poets, right? That he's got a soft side. He's got a tender side. He's got things still make him cry. Okay. Beauty can just elicit longing in him. And so, yeah, he takes up an instrument or he starts writing for the first time in his life. Maybe he starts journaling for the first time in his life. He wants to travel, but now it's to go to beautiful places. It's not only for the adventure, he's seeking out beauty. And this is really important because when he does fall in love, if a man's only source of beauty is in his relationship with his wife, that is going to put way too much pressure on her. He's got to have a lot of beauty coming into his life. And if parts of his life or all of his life, he's a single guy, like that's okay because there's all this beauty coming to us constantly from God in the world. So yeah, beauty comes in. And again, you know, we, so we talked about how does it get wounded? If if he doesn't get to be warrior, then he won't have courage. If he doesn't get to be warrior, he'll be really angry. And a lot of that anger that we're encountering in men is because they didn't get to be warrior. They weren't told that that was okay, that that was good. Their anger wasn't given a righteous outlet. So they're just angry. They just have this amorphous anger inside them. Same thing with beauty, man. Like if, if beauty doesn't come in, then it's like around 50, 55, then it's the trophy wife, then it's the affairs, then, it, you know, because you've got this ache. The ache is real. It just wasn't nurtured and it wasn't called out. And primarily the lover stage is discovering the value of the heart. And man, like as parents, we either parent for behavior or we parent for the heart. And that difference alone can really make or break a child's life. And so discovering as a lover, as a young man, the heart, heart, the heart is central. And then he's going to be in a much better place to take care of the hearts entrusted to him. Whether those are employees or students, athletes on his team, he'll be in a much better place to care for people's hearts. This is so crucial because I think boys need to be given permission uh, to fall in love with beautiful things and to know that and to do so is fully masculine. You're not soft, right? You're not a loser. To fall in love with beauty, the beauty that God has embedded in all sorts of things uh, has been really fascinating. There's a group of students, when they listen to this, they're going to be highly embarrassed, but whatever. We have a group of guys at the King's College who've been secretly, I spotted them on Spotify, found them out. They've been secretly making music, right? They've been sort of secretly recording music. 
Nice. Producing music, right? Writing these poems. They've been doing this on the side. And when you look at them, you would never know. You would never tell. But they're doing exactly what you said. They're exploring the lover sage is coming alive and and they have the courage to put it out there for people to see the next stage in the journey is the king stage i'm clearly in the king stage now can you describe for us what that is so the i believe it was dallas willard who said that god's entire purpose is to entrust men with power he rules by delegation and the tragedy of the scripture narrative and the tragedy of the human race is men not being able to handle the power that God has given to them. So, you know, they get a class, they become a coach of a team that, you know, and they abuse it. They become the manager of a division or they, you know, they get a white coat, they get some influence or they are the head guy and they abuse it because they're not ready to handle power. And there's a fascinating story I love about Augustine, he loved his life as a monk. He loved his life as a brother. And then they came to him and they said, we need to make you bishop of North Africa. And he wept. He wept because he knew what it would cost him. If you eagerly, you know, this is Cicero and all this. If you eagerly desire power, you probably shouldn't have it. If you are the reluctant okay, I'll do it, but this is going to cost me, you know, no one should want the U.S. presidency. Are you kidding me? It is the hardest job in the world. You will lose. You will lose. Everyone will, everyone will hate you at some point, right? Same as, you know, you want to be a pastor of a church. Are you kidding me? Like, but here's the thing in the Old Testament, it says when David does become king, it says he knew that God had made him king for the sake of his people. Not for the sake of David, but for the sake of his people. So I, I have a kingdom. I have a, you know, we have a little company and there's, I have 19 employees and I have a little note taped on my desk so I can see it every day. And it says, this is where I serve because I'm the guy, right? I got the books. I got the name. I'm, you know, I'm the famous guy and it can begin to feel like it's about me. This is all here to, you know, further the, dreams and ambitions of John Eldridge, and it's just not. It just isn't. And so the King stage is a beautiful, beautiful stage. It kicks in around late 30s, early 40s, and you are entrusted with some kind of kingdom, some kind of influence. It might be money. It might be power. It might be status. And you have a kingdom to rule. And as I said, if, if we have this unformed man, if he doesn't know he's the beloved son, then he can't take criticism and nobody can shoot straight with him, right? If he was never the cowboy adventurer and now he's buying the boats and the motorcycles and the sports cars, you know, if he was never the warrior, he will not lead his people to war. And we do go to war, folks. <laughs> it's like the armor of God is because you are at war, you know, not because we're all sitting around reading novels. So if he's not a warrior, he won't lead his people to war. If he's not a lover, he won't know how to take care of their hearts. His discipline will be very harsh. And it will, you know, his kingdom will eventually implode. And that's what we have right now. The pain of the earth, all these imploding kingdoms, is because you had unfinished men at the helm. Yeah, and that can really damage the people to whom they've been given oversight over, right? It, uh, it can really cascade a series of other forms of brokenness. The last stage, and I remember reading you years ago and you saying that you weren't quite a sage yet. I'm wondering if you're getting closer to this, this sort of sage. I mean, this is, you know, 10 years ago, 15 yep. years oh, yeah. ago, a while ago. Oh, yeah. uh, this last stage is the era of the sage. Uh, can you just kind of briefly tell us about what a sage is? Yeah, yeah. So here's the story. I, I was at a I was at a memorial gathering for a friend last weekend, and you know, you're telling stories and reflecting back on their life, and it's poignant and it's awful and it's wonderful. And but when the elderly, and it was a woman at this case in the in the room, when grandma spoke, everybody went silent, and you listen. This is the stage of influence as opposed to power 
and good. You know, you downsize, right? You, you're in a smaller apartment, you know, your income, you're on a fixed income and all of that. But your influence is actually the greatest now because you can finally share the wisdom that you've learned from all your mistakes. And so this is the elder at the gates, right? This is the being willing to let younger kings run things, not having to hold on to the helm, you know, to the very last. Like you're willing to let that go because now you are the, you're the elder, you're the counselor. It's a time of mentoring younger kings and lovers and warriors. It's, this is the time. And unfortunately, in our culture, we ship all the gray hairs off to Fort Lauderdale. Like, or they're in Sun City, you know, Arizona. It's tragic. My grandfather was an absolute rescue to me absolute rescue and gave me things my father didn't have and he was a he was a gray-haired guy by the time i came around i was you know one of the youngest grandchildren and so the elder time is is an absolutely beautiful time in life although we have a culture right now that worships expertise right it's the experts and and we bring them in and we pay them a lot of money and they're the consultants and all of that i don't want to hear from the experts they're helpful i want to hear from the elders Right? Like, where are the gray haired fathers and mothers who are helping to shepherd us in this time and keep our wits about us? And, and that is the beauty of what the sage offers. And yeah, I got more gray hair than dark. And I am, I am in that stage. I actually just turned 60 and I, I was asking God to help me with that. And really just define, like, you know, I still do all the things I have to do. I'm going bow hunting next week and all that. But I know it's a transition, and it's a transition I want to embrace and not fight. And so I was asking him about that. What is the 60s? God talked to me about the 60s, and he said, you are my elder. I'm like, okay, that's new. That's, I get the king, I get the warrior, elder. Okay, help me with that. I, I, I want to enter into that with grace and acceptance. Absolutely. Those, some of these transitions can be, can be quite a challenge. That they invite us into risk. And some of us listening may realize, uh-oh, I'm stuck in a stage or I'm unfinished. Uh, what would you tell them? Am I, is it over? Can I get any help? What should I do if, if I really say, like, oh, my goodness, I never got my boyhood stage or the cowboy stage got undermined by my parents' divorce. Help me. Yes, yes. This is the extraordinary offer of the gospel. I will be a father to you, God says, and you will be my sons. God will take you back through the stages that you missed, no matter what age you are, and he will fill in the missing initiation. If it's affection, it's just going to be this stage of affection. And it can be kind of exasperating because you're asking for counsel and you're asking for direction. And what do I do? And he's saying, I love you. You know, you're like, yeah, 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 I know you love me, but let, but he's, try, he's just trying to get affection into your soul. Or this is where most men misinterpret hardship. You know, you didn't go through that cowboy stage, and so the lawnmower breaks, the car breaks, the, 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 and you're like, come on, God, like I got, and he's like, no, 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 I'm fathering you through hardship right now. I am forming things in you that didn't get formed. And so on and so forth. So yeah, it's a beautiful thing to allow God to become our intimate loving father and and to forgive our dads for their their imperfections and some of us for some pretty serious wounding. Forgive them so that we may go on with God now. And and it's not mystical and vague and all that. Sometimes it is directly through the fathering of God. Often it's mediated. You know, he'll bring a professor along into your life who comes along and offers something that you didn't need. And so don't look to one man to provide it. This is where most guys get taken out is, oh, I need a father. I need a mentor. I need a sage. I need, a, you know, it's going to come in a lot of ways through a lot of different men, a coach, an uncle, maybe your grandfather, like me, you know, letting it come in pieces rather than insisting in another perfect father figure in your life. God will bring it. He will father you. He's not done. And that really does mean being open and asking God to heal those broken places, to, to continue this process of initiation, to sort of re-engage the story. 
and to be amazed and be open to how God surprises us when he says, you are my beloved son, right? Mm. I'm pleased in you. I mean, this is, this is, as you said, the offer of the gospel. I, I have very, very clear memories here as, as we wrap up of my very, very first time fly fishing in Colorado. And I grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta, never had this experience before. And I'm literally shaking, right? Because I'm so nervous because I'm afraid of like what happens if I don't catch a fish. And I go back to the camp and God's like, I caught seven. I caught 10, you know? And I'm standing in the water. I'm like, God, I, you know, I, I need you. Like, I, you know, like help me here. This is, right? So I'm casting. And it was, it was almost like sort of this voice saying, you know, I, I see you. I'm here with you. I know this is important. I know you need this. Watch this. Fish. 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 And I'm thinking, man, this is amazing. And I could only, you know, I think I, I could only say, well, thank you, right, for this opportunity and this little small moment to experience uh, your presence. John Eldridge, thank you so much for your time today. This is an absolute delight. Thank you for all of your work. As I've said before, you've not only changed my life, but the lives of my students and several of the men that I've, I've walked through this material. If you need more resources, Wild at Heart is a great portal for that. Lots of books, lots of resources there for men and women, whole churches, schools, groups. If you are someone in need of resources to sort of walk through men to get their hearts back, I'm going to highly recommend the work of John Eldridge. He's been at this for a very long time. It's one of the best resources that I can recommend. So thank you again for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. You're a really good king.